Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you need a Bible, there are some blue copies of the Bible around you. You can pick one of those up and turn to page 929. Uh, we're going to be looking at this passage and seeing what God's Word has to teach us. So you'll be helped to have it open in front of you. Uh, I would prefer that you know that the words that I'm saying are on the basis of what God has said. Instead of you just taking my word for it. That would be good for you uh, and good for me. What are you thinking will be your legacy? What do you think will be your legacy? Last week, we looked in Acts, end of Acts 18, Acts chapter 19... And we heard God's word telling us that the choice to worship God is the most important choice we will make. This week, we're going to kind of continue somewhat on that theme as we see from our passage this morning and consider how we use our lives. We'll think about that as we follow the Apostle Paul as he continues in his travels throughout first century Asia, doing the work the Lord Jesus had given him to do in those years. We will find that this passage prompts us to think about the legacy that we will all leave behind. Now, when we talk about leaving a legacy, we are thinking about what is important to live for. What we might do that will outlast us. The legacies that we leave are how we are going to keep influencing the world after we are gone from it. Your legacy will be what people know of your life and how you chose to live it. Even for those who never personally knew you. People will pick over what you bought at your estate sale, which will not tell them anything about your legacy. But in your eulogy at your funeral... They will hear what you lived for. Every church today, including ours, should be thinking about our legacy. There was a church before we were born. And unless Jesus comes back, there will be one after. Jesus expects of us that we will, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, pass along the gospel that we have received. This is how the caravan of Christ's kingdom rolls through the ages from one generation to the next over the extended bridge of gospel committed churches. Warner Road Baptist Church has actually been here on this location for about a hundred years now. A hundred years. What kind of church will this one be a hundred years from now? The legacy we leave will impact the answer to that question. In our passage this morning, we hear Paul telling leaders of the church in Ephesus to continue his legacy. Now, while the, the passage stretches for more than this, I've chosen to focus most of our time this morning on verses 17 to 38. In case you feel like we uh, feel disappointed that we didn't cover it. Let me give you a brief, brief summary of verses 1 to 16. They narrate details of Paul's journey, who he traveled with, who he discipled, how he spent his time preaching wherever he went, even if it meant staying up all night to do it. And at one point, a boy named Eutychus falls out of a window while Paul is preaching into the early hours of the night. Only to be resurrected by God through Paul. This event underscores not that preachers shouldn't preach long sermons. But what we've been seeing throughout Acts. That God was working powerfully to advance his kingdom through the early apostles preaching ministry. And in case we had forgotten that God is a God who is powerful and can resurrect dead people to life. At this point in the narrative, Paul is very eager to get back to Jerusalem. 
You see that in verse 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So not wanting to backtrack in his journey, Paul sends a message to Ephesus where he had already been to ask the elders of the church there to come meet him. He has something important to tell them. He needs to tell them goodbye and entrust to them his gospel legacy. In this farewell address, we will hear what Paul lived for and what he was leaving behind. Let me read it now for us, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. When he'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul lived among these men for two plus years and left behind a gospel legacy. This morning, we will learn from Paul how to do that. How to leave a gospel legacy. That will function as the outline of the rest of my talk. And we will think of six ways this passage instructs us in how to do that well. My sermon this morning is going to be full of direction for us. Not at all thinking that we can do this without God's grace. And it will have the idea behind it that our legacy minded living is not just for our own sake. But for those who come after us. To serve as the bridge across which the Lord will drive the caravan of gospel blessings to those who he would bring after us. Six ways to leave a gospel legacy. First, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Notice in verses 18 through 21 how focused Paul is on this task. I'm going to read it again. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hard to miss Paul's driving driving aim and ambition during his time with the Ephesians. He served them tirelessly. Why? So that they can hear the gospel from him. The matter of great, greatest importance for them 
was the message he had to bring them and the one he encouraged them to respond to in turning from sin and trusting in Christ. There will be a lot of things we can do as a church and we will find that those things vary from season to season. But this is something we must always do. Preach the gospel. And this gospel priority should shape all our ministries. So why have kids ministry? Is it primarily to to care for tired parents? No, although a side benefit at times. No, it is to give our kids the gospel. Why explore service in our community? Well, to make relational avenues down which we can carry the gospel, like Derek has been doing at Armor Oaks. Why perpetually encourage each other to get to know our neighbors or the people we work with or our classmates at school? So that we might have an opportunity to tell them that Jesus is a savior to be followed. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, I think any Christian here would recognize that none of us came into this world hardwired with gospel truth in our hearts. We know that we had to, at some point, receive it from outside of ourselves. The gospel, in order to be believed by a hearer, must first be proclaimed by a speaker. Romans 10.14 asks, How are they, that is those who don't know Jesus, to believe in him and believe on him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Maybe you were invited here this morning and as we've repeatedly used this this word gospel, you, you have felt like, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is good news to people who, though we were created to live with God, by our own choice and doing, we destroyed any chance of that by going the other way from God. We have all, by our own act, and our own hearts given to other things, have chosen that our ways, whether, they're, whether they seem better or worse to us than what God offers, we have chosen to do what we love, instead of following and loving God more. The Bible tells us that that kind of rebellion against the perfect, holy, powerful God who made us is deserving of the greatest punishment, death. Death that comes as a consequence of our sin. And if the story of the Bible started with Adam and Eve falling into sin, that is where we would remain. But God sent his only son, his perfect son, the son of God, came to be born into humanity so that he might live the lives we failed utterly in and perform righteously and perfectly through so that he might go to a cross and for the death we deserve to die, take our sin on himself and die in our place. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless son of God, has offered himself as a sacrifice for sinners. And it tells us that through his death and then resurrection from death, we can have eternal life in his name. What is called for from you and me is not to hear that and say, I need to live better for Jesus and then he'll welcome me. No, that's never worked and it never will. That's not the promise and offer of grace given in the gospel. The promise and offer of grace is that Jesus did what was required and he died to pay what we could not. And he gives life and life in his name freely. Listen to that message. Hear about Jesus. Trust. In him. Turn from your sin that separates you and follow him into life. Ensuring faithful gospel pro- proclamation is going to be our whole church responsibility. We ought to expect each of us as members here that anyone in this pulpit will tell us the good news of Jesus Christ whenever they stand in this place. We encourage those who bring us the word of God and we we encourage and help along those who explain it to us. 
We study his word beyond Sunday morning together throughout the week with the desire to stay as close to God's truth as possible. As if it is the warm fire that we can huddle around for what heat from the cold that we live in from day to day. The first sign that a church has forgotten her responsibility to leave a legacy will be a distancing from this primary duty. Gospel preaching is often one of the first things that churches walk away from in disbelief. Because gospel preaching takes a while to bear fruit. And we are impatient people. And we are driven by a need for results fast. In a culture addicted to success, we should not be surprised when the message that tells people they're sinners gets jettisoned quickly. Even by other area churches who are afraid that preaching that will lead to a diminishment in their attendance. But if a church remained on this street corner for the last hundred years, and if it remains on this street corner for another hundred years, and that church is a gospel church, then as it is today by God's grace, it will be because some way, somehow, That church will have received the gospel preached here this morning. It will be in part because week in and week out, as some of you have done into the late 1900s, into the early 2000s, as some of you have already done. Thank you for staying here through those hard years, through to the mid and late 2000s, which is us now. It will be because we gathered here around the shared belief and conviction that Jesus is alive. He has conquered sin and death, and everyone needs to hear about him and turn their lives over to him to receive eternal life. Today, in the preaching and hearing and believing of the gospel, we are actively working to pass on a gospel legacy. The second way we, re- we leave a gospel legacy is by demonstrating gospel faith. Gospel faith. By that I mean the way our lives look according to what we believe. Look at verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Notice that Paul assumes, not pridefully, just as point of fact, that these elders have learned something from him. They spent a great deal of time together with him. They learned from Paul's teaching and from his example. So much of what you know as a person, if you think about it, comes because you learned it by seeing your kids if you have kids will adopt either to your delight or embarrassment your mannerisms students will mimic their teachers successful people will credit their achievements to mentors who brought them along i don't think personally i'd be a pastor if i had not first seen what it looked like to be a pastor by other pastors I wouldn't have the confidence to stand up here in front of you and speak and seek to guide you if I hadn't seen other people faithfully following God's word to see where this direction would take us. Like Paul, our practice faith is the example that will help advance a gospel legacy through our lives. So we make it our aim to live by faith. So that those who come after us know what that actually means. And not just what it means in your head, but what it looks like through a life lived by faith. So here is what we want our physical and spiritual children and grandchildren to learn from us. Here are three aspects of a legacy of gospel faith. First, we want them to learn from us. How to leave leave our lives in God's hands. How to leave our lives in God's hands. 
You notice what Paul says there. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. I don't know what's ahead. He will say in a second that it's probably going to be painful. And yet I trust God is guiding me. That is a demonstration of a life lived by faith. We teach others to do that as we do that ourselves. We also give this example to them of faith. We teach them how to give our life for the Lord to use how he wants. To give our life to the Lord to use how he wants. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You will be an encouragement to other Christians here. The more that you repeat and emphasize your desire that God do whatever he want with you so that he might be glorified through you. Third, third way we demonstrate and show what a life lived by faith looks like. We, we demonstrate this by showing others how to care most about what God cares about. How to care most about what God cares about. Paul says to them, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Kelly read a passage from Ezekiel 3 earlier. It's likely what Paul is thinking about here. Though there would be many reasons for Paul along the way to shrink back. Fear of man. Fatigue. Opposition. Paul understood he had to do what God had given him to do. Anything less would have left him guilty of preferring his own well-being over that of others. So our gospel demonstration of faith will teach others how to leave our lives in God's hands. How to give our life to the Lord to use how he wants. How to care most about what God cares about. Think about the people who are observing you most. Are they learning these lessons from your life right now? Examine your habits and your patterns. We can teach people how to live in anxiety or worry. Or we can teach people how to be settled in trust in God. We can invite people into the freedom of letting God take our lives and let them be consecrated to him. Or... We can wrestle and struggle to live for our own agendas and mistreat people when they get in the way of that. We can choose to curate our image in self-love, seeking others' praise. Or we can image Christ by loving people enough, even if we're afraid to do so, by loving them enough to tell them about Jesus. The fruit of faith we demonstrate is the gospel legacy we will leave behind. Third way to leave a gospel legacy, guard God's church. Guard God's church. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul's told them by some knowledge that he has. Not sure how. I think by God, obviously. Don't know how that was communicated. But Paul has told them that he's not going to see them again. He's not ever coming back to Ephesus. So in anticipation of that, he hands, off, he hands off oversight of the church to a group of men and tells them the care of the believers is now their responsibility. This section helps us understand God's structure for the church. The office of elder mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 is how these men are described in verse 17. And overseeing and shepherding is how these elders carry out their office in the church. Good leadership 
is vital to the healthy future of our church. It's vital. The church depends on leadership, just like a flock of sheep depends on the careful activity of the shepherd. Without shepherds, the sheep remain vulnerable to all sorts of dangers. So the shepherd needs to be committed to stand watch, to give careful attention. Paul's words, the elders give them all the motivation they need to carry out this important job with the utmost care. Did you see how he motivates them? The why behind why they should pay careful attention. Because this is a high priority in the eyes of the triune God. The Holy Spirit set them apart for this task. He did it in order that they might care for God's church, the Father's church. And the church is valuable to the triune God. The father sends the son to shed his own blood to purchase this church from sin. Paul also identifies the reason shepherds are needed. There are many dangers outside and inside. Fierce wolves who will threaten the church and seek to use it and abuse it for their own gain. False teachers, even scarily, potentially from among the elder group themselves. Who will try to create a following of their own to counter the ways of Christ. Should these shepherds fail or fall, the flock could be split apart by disunity, damaged by bad leadership, even scattered entirely in fear or in discouragement. I can say from experience that nothing less than this is required in order to fulfill the pastor's ministry. There is never a time when my heart and mind is not in some way actively or passively occupied with your care. Wondering how your needs will be met, what your hearts are drawn toward, what level of joy or discouragement you're feeling. What dangers are present in your life to pull you away from Jesus? What weights are pressing on your hearts? Elders of this church or those of you who would like to serve as pastors one day, remember this is no part-time job. And I don't say that in disgruntlement. I actually say it with a lot of joy that I've been allowed to do this. But this is no part-time job. We are not hired helpers. We are attached to this church by virtue of God's decision that for this time in this place, we will be the ones entrusted with the care of these souls. You were identified as an elder by this church as being men who desired to carry out this noble task with God's help and you met by God's grace the biblical qualifications. The only way to continue joyfully serving night and day as Paul did is to do it for the Lord and not for people. Because God placed you here. And because God loves this church. So labor for him and work for those he treasures. Now, if this were a gathering of pastors, I'd have so much more to say about what pay attention to yourselves and all the flock looks like. But I want to say a word to those of you, most of you, pretty much all of you, who aren't pastors right now. To all of you who are called to follow these leaders and be in the vulnerable position of entrusting your spiritual care to pastors like me. Let me encourage you to pray for gifts from the Holy Spirit to lead our church. Regularly pray for that. Only God should be trusted with determining who is suited for this. Any man, especially for a short time, could deceive us all into thinking that he fits the bill when he is really hiding an idol in his heart that will appear later. We need the Lord to lead us in recognizing his leaders for us. Keep praying. And appoint faithful men who love the Lord and love his people and have a long track record of that. In our church, 
Elders will nominate who we think the church should appoint as a pastor, but you, the church, are charged with making that final decision. So in your decision-making, in your looking and searching, in your praying and discerning, stick to the qualifications God has given you to make that decision. Do not look at business acumen or to wealth or that they are nice to listen to. Look for men who live like shepherds, who without any title go after wandering sheep of their own accord, move to strengthen weak sheep, give their time to do others good at cost to themselves. Look for the trees on men on whom there is growing evident fruit of the spirit. And when the elders seek to lead in a godly direction, help them and follow them. This is hard work, and yet it is so important. It's hard work for you to trust, and it's hard work for us to lead. If you can imagine what it feels like to be tasked by God with accountability to watch over another person's soul, then you also know anyone in that position needs a ton of help. Pray for us. Encourage us when you think and you can see God working through us, despite our weaknesses, for your good. Remind us to keep to the main things. Respond humbly when we make good attempts to watch over you closely, even by asking you personal questions or addressing you face to face when you seem to be wandering away. We mean it for your care. And don't forget that your elders are human too. Paul tells the elders, did you see it? Before he says, pay attention to the sheep. Who does he say to pay attention to? Pay attention to yourselves. We are human too. He warns that some of them may turn into dangers for the church. Some of you I know have lived through the metamorphosis of a shepherd turned wolf. And that leaves you suspicious or reticent to follow anyone claiming that role. I know that for you to even follow here is a real act of faith. And I commend you for it. Pastors, if we are to be truly concerned for the health of this flock, we must give attention to our own holiness first. You cannot, and I speak to myself... You cannot lead others to know a Jesus who is a stranger to you. Church, you know your leaders are not perfect. In case you thought we were, I'm just going to say now we're not. But I know you've seen us up close. You know we're not perfect. We need you to pray for our protection so that we can protect you. We are just as susceptible as you to the temptation of sin, the attacks of the devil, the trials of doubt and discouragement. Shepherds of sheep we may be, but we are also sheep. Being aware of this, we continue to point each other, shepherd and sheep alike, to depend on the grace of God, which leads us to the fourth way we lead a gospel legacy. Depending on God's grace. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is the thing that will protect the elders in the flock, build the church and get everyone to the destination God has prepared? God and his grace. No effective substitute can replace this most vital ingredient in church's life and legacy. Our future depends on the Lord. Our spiritual growth must be given to us by God. Our sowing and planting of the gospel will grow only if God strengthens our hands to do the work regularly and sends his water, his rain to grow the seed. Dependence on God is fundamental to treasuring, protecting, and faithfully passing on the gospel from our generation to the next. Paul encourages the Ephesian elders this direction because only this 
can do what is needed. Do you want to be helpful to other Christians in their walk with Jesus? Do you want to be of benefit to your brothers and sisters here? Enabling them and and helping them walk more towards Jesus, towards heaven. Well, let me tell you what we need from you. We need examples of people who trust God entirely. We need to see people who aren't fooled by distractions of wealth or fame. We need to witness what it's like to not come completely apart when trials enter lives, but instead entrust it to God. We need you and me to be genuinely unimpressed by new fads in Christian teaching and be content instead to keep to the tried and true gospel. We need to be quick to say that we have made mistakes, but to testify that God in his grace has helped work us through them to our advantage and benefit. People who, when weighed down by trial, we witness them assure others that though it is painful, you know Jesus intends this to refine you in order to present you pure and blameless on the day of his coming. Help us by doing that. By showing us what that life looks like. Depending on his grace, you show us what it's like to depend on his grace. As a Christian, I need you to disciple me in this. This is the same path every Christian will take in following Jesus. There's no escape from this way. Total reliance on him will be the direction we all head. I love our corporate prayer times on Sunday morning for this. If you haven't yet come at 9.15 to meet and pray with us downstairs in the fellowship hall, let me invite you to do that. This is the start of our week as a church. And I love that we begin our week in dependent prayer. Asking God to work in us before we begin our work for him. Before we even gather to worship him. And bring our praise to him. Church, remain in that posture. And you can know that we will maintain a focus and priority on the gospel we also desperately need for our own salvation. Remain dependent. And we will keep repeating our request to God to work in only the way he can to bring salvation to the lost around us. Remain dependent. And we will be protected from working to build a church of our own striving and devising. Dependence on God is how we will leave a gospel legacy. Fifth, We leave a gospel legacy by giving to gospel work. Look at verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't it interesting that right after commending dependence on God's grace, Paul reminds them of his own habits with money. It was common in that time to have itinerant religious teachers benefiting financially from their ministries. So as not to confuse his efforts with a motivation for money, Paul decided to work as a tent maker and never requested payment from those who heard the gospel from him. If you want to read more about his reasoning there and how he forewent his rights, you can read 1 Corinthians 9. He says he did this in order to make the gospel clear. Does that mean the church should not pay people to do gospel work? Is Paul saying here that in his example, he thinks every pastor should be bivocational? No. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul tells Timothy, a pastor, to make sure to teach his own church that they should pay him and other pastors well because of their labors in preaching the word to them. As a church, you actually take responsibility to pay my entire salary. And by doing that, that's one of the many ways you show how important God's word is to you. You want the person who regularly preaches here to be free of the burden of going out and spending time and energy on earning a living otherwise. 
That's a good thing to do. Without intending to be self-serving, I think you're making a very wise choice. It would be no benefit to you to have a preacher so bogged down by the regular cares of life that you know full well because you're living in them that he doesn't have time to marinate in God's word and to bring you a spiritual meal that will fill you up on Sundays and edify you and cause you to grow. All of your elders, save me, are working other jobs and pastoring too. I think they could point to 1 Timothy 5 and ask that we compensate them in some way for their labors. But they don't. They give themselves sacrificially for the work. And from witnessing these men and their way of life, church, I can say that they do their shepherding work in the way 1 Peter describes. Not under compulsion. Willingly. Not for shameful gain. But eagerly. They, like Paul, are examples for us. Paul is deliberately holding himself out, not apparently as a paradigm for bivocational pastors, but as an example of giving himself generously to the work of the gospel. He didn't labor with thoughts for his own gain. He labored with thoughts for their gain. Paul didn't want gold. He wanted the church's good. He totally bought into the Jesus principle as giving away as the way to experience blessing. You know, it's amazing to me that for a hundred plus years, most, if not all, of the gospel ministry that has happened here at this church has been accomplished through this same kind of generous giving. I highly doubt, and Quinn can verify later by reading through the minutes, I highly doubt there was ever membership dues to be in order to be part of this church. In more recent Years, we have not taken a position on what percentage you should give financially. I personally don't even know how much you give. And I intend to keep it that way. And yet the money needed to carry out the work God has given us to do has always been there. The church building has been built and is being maintained. Even though you aren't part of everything our giving supports in your service, still you give faithfully to make sure the gospel is going out. Churches are planted. Missions are increasing. And other pastors and churches in our area and across the world are encouraged. I am so glad to serve in a church that believes Jesus and responds generously with your giving. Even in our ministries to each other, you are giving like this, even beyond our finances. Many of you are regularly giving time and energy to come here and serve kids and serve in hospitality and serve in AV and serve in many other ways. And then you're going home and you're thinking about each other and you're hearing what people need and you're going out and providing for those needs. And you're meeting people and you're praying with people and you're loving people and encouraging them far beyond what money can do. I commend you for that. I think I can promise you that the more that we give of what we have be it money or time or energy or service, the more we will see God do in this place. That's not manipulation. It's just counting on what Jesus says is true. And your gifts will not just benefit you. They will benefit those who come after you. Aren't you thankful for the saints who have passed on what they did to us? Who sat in the pew you're sitting in 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 20 years ago, and heard the gospel you heard this morning and decided for our sake today that they would sacrifice then. And we can see how their gift went to help. Generous giving to gospel work is our version of establishing a pattern of generational wealth. When we give ourselves for the sake of the gospel, God will grow others and they learn the same for their lives and they replicate it and God grows even others. And by the time it's all said and done in heaven, you have no idea how the generous lives of a mere 150 people on a street corner in Kansas City might expand to bless the world. That is a gospel legacy worth leaving. Finally. Number six, say goodbye 
say goodbye for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 36 to 38. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. That they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now for some of us, God will move us geographically in order to take his gospel to other places. That's why Paul's leaving. Because he knows the gospel needs to go beyond Ephesus. I love this scene. It reminds me that relationships we have in Christ are deep and personal and very hard to leave behind when it's time. You felt this if you've ever had to move away from dearly loved ones or even to leave a good church that God used in your life for profound effect. You felt this. Or you felt it when others have left in order to serve the Lord elsewhere, people you love, but prayed for and supported as they went. As our relationships deepen here, and that's what we aim and pray for, it will make our goodbyes when they happen a lot more sad. It may sound weird, but you want people ugly crying when you leave. Because that's how you know You love them the way you should. For those of you who have moved around a bit, the dread or pain of a goodbye might make you think you should protect yourself by remaining at a distance. But actually the opposite is true. Your spiritual protection will come by making yourself fully known to others quickly so that they can begin caring for you. For others of us, we might so love Kansas City That we would struggle to leave. I actually feel that way myself. Only being here two years. It's not bad to love where you live. It's okay to stay in a place for a long time. As long as we remain completely open handed with the lives gifted to us by God. To be used however he wants for his glory. Even if it means Leaving KC behind. Jesus has a gospel legacy for us to leave that will stretch beyond this place. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he sent his disciples with a global mission. We're going to have people join our church who we know at the beginning, or we're at least pretty sure, will not be here very long. Young men at seminary who will leave to pastor other churches, women who will come in order to go and be missionaries or who will move for a career that God is leading them in or will move with their newfound spouses to other churches, military members whose careers will move them every two to three years. When we invest our time to equip and encourage, train and teach these, we are welcoming our place in God's plan to spread the gospel And grow his church through those who will come and go from us. Members who have been here a while. Reserve some time in your calendar. To keep getting to know new members. Church. In time. I think we're going to need to think about. Not right now. But in time. We'll probably need to think about hiring more pastors. Who can equip. And help us send out. More pastors and missionaries. So that other churches can be blessed as we are. Now if Warner Road Baptist Church is the only church you've known. You may not realize what a wealth of riches God has given you and this church. We have received a gospel legacy made possible by those who came before us. But there are people in the world who have no such legacy yet. There are people who have not received the gospel at all or have no page of the Bible, not even a single page in their own language. God may tap some of us to say goodbye in order to go to seek to begin a gospel legacy in those places. And he'll want the rest of us to stand and fully support. Be ready. Be ready to say goodbye to this church 
when God calls us to build up his church elsewhere. That is how we'll leave a gospel legacy. So we draw our time to close now. Let me conclude. Paul's journey reminds us this journey to the shore, to the ship, and then off. It reminds us of the one that we're going to take one day. Even if you never move from here, one day we're all going to walk to the edge of the banks of Death's River. And we will say goodbye to everyone we've loved here. Much of the stuff we leave on the shore is going to have no lasting significance. Just an inventory for an estate sale. But the people who we weep with there and what they've heard and learned from our lives about the gospel, that's a lasting legacy. A legacy that we are going to get to on the other side of death We're going to get to celebrate in heaven as we see how God in his grace used our lives to serve Jesus and save the people who will join us there one day. So church, depending on God's grace, this is the gospel legacy we want to leave behind. Let's pray. Lord, we need you, your help to kind of pull us out of the weeds of our lives and what, what we see from day to day and help us to see what you're doing and why you've put us here and what treasures have been given to us and granted us in Christ and this gospel message that we hold dear and how you would have it spread from us. Lord, we, we need you to just help us recognize it and our place in it and appreciate it. Our hearts, we need to be kind of torn off of the things we treasure more than what is most valuable to us. Spirit, we pray you do that. And our heart's desire, made new by the Spirit, do long for our lives and our work and our faith to matter. To matter beyond our own lives. And we pray you would make it so. That our investment and our belief and trust and our demonstration of what counting all costs and laying them on Christ for the sake of knowing him. We pray that that would be evident in us so that those who come after us would see it. And by virtue of what they've heard from our mouths given to us by you and by virtue of what they see in our lives. They too would come to know you and follow you and pass on your gospel to their next generation. How kind you are to involve us in this. How privileged a place it is. And so we humbly ask for your grace. Most necessary. That we might leave behind this gospel legacy. For your glory. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.